uh, yeah. Uh, hey there, welcome to We've Been Had, a show where we discuss, sometimes debate. You know, I say that, we we don't debate too often. We've debated a couple times. Uh, Usually we end up debating something totally tangential to the topic. Yeah, but. That's, I think that's fair. So yeah, uh, a show where we discuss albums and debate other things, <laughs> for your listening pleasure. I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, the deal with the show, of course, aside from the uh, digressive arguments, is that we take turns picking an album, and we go both go off and dig into it, and then come back and talk about it. Uh, this time around, it was my pick, um, and I indulged myself and picked what I think might be my favorite record. Um, that would be The Great Destroyer by the... Uh, fantastic Duluth, Minnesota band Low. The info on The Great Destroyer, released January of 2005 on Sub Pop, was their major label debut, produced by Dave Friedman and Low. And rated by Metacritic as the 46th best album of 2005. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> I'm dead serious. <laughs> Do you know what the Pitchfork rating was? I remember it's. I know it's Low, 5.5. Wankity-wankity-wankity. Guess what was number one on the Metacritic what list? What I was going to ask. The seminal album, Illinois, by Stufian Stevens. Oh, for fuck's sake. But I, I guess I was surprised. First of all, they're like this... I, I gotta be honest, I'd never heard of Metacritic before. Uh, but... Their comprehensive list had like a hundred albums from 2005, and just some interesting ones like uh, "The Woods" by Sleater Kinney. Hell of a record. LCD Sound System. LCD Sound System. Twin Cinema. The Newer Pornographers. Also a hell of a record. Gimme Fiction by Spoon. Again, uh, man, that was a good year for music. Yeah, Get Behind Me, Satan. White Stripes. Mm. The weird thing, Gimme Fiction in my head feels like it's much older than that. Like, I would have guessed, if you'd asked me, you know, when that came out, I would have guessed a lot closer to 2000. And uh, checking in at number 249, Okuma and the Melody of Riot, Sunfold, <laughs> which somehow beat out Body of Song by Bob Mould, 317. Which, I mean, I, I'm not going to go to bat for the recent Bob Bold albums, but I feel like that's one of the better ones. Yeah, uh, that's pretty good. I don't know. The Metacritic. Uh, Nashville by Josh Rouse, 89. I only put that in because I feel like I've seen Josh Rouse open for like at least three different alt-country acts <laughs> at First Avenue. and yeah. so I'm glad to see it's finally paying off. Yeah, you know, he slowly built a, built a following. Um... <laughs> Well, so swinging back around, I, I always try to throw a description of the album in early on. Um, the Great Destroyer is, it's a, you know, as low albums go, it's pretty weird. It's, it's kind of an outlier by being not as weird. It's their most conventional. Before it, um, you know, they've got a decade of very slow, quiet albums. Then they've got this, like, you know, it's a weird record, but... It's, it's, it has mid-tempo and up-tempo songs. Yeah, no, it's a rager for by low standards. Yeah. It's, uh, but it, 
I guess the thing that I didn't realize until I re-listened to it is it's so many different things, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. uh, and, and we can you know kind of as we go into it we can kind of dive into this, but I get songs that I feel like could be on like Neil Young and Crazy Horse records, yeah. or songs that could be if they were played a little bit faster could be uh, more pop sort of uh, alt rock hits. Yeah. Um, you know, it just, it's, it's really interesting record. It, it is. I, um, you know, I, well, so then the thing I was going to say about the album context, the weird thing too is, you know, so they've got all the slow, quiet records and they've got this one. And then after this, it just, they seem, you know, it's just like they, they continue to make good records, but they're experimental and unconventional in a way that this one, you know, it's like they tried, they tried a conventional record just to show they could do it, and then we're like, yeah, no, we're gonna go back to. Um, I guess just you know, I, I don't. I take it for granted that everybody knows who Low is, but perhaps not. So they are the core of the band is a married couple, Alan Sparhawk and Mimi Parker, who live in Duluth. Uh, Sparhawk sings, plays guitar. Parker sings and plays drums. Um, back in this era, the bass was a guy named Zach Sally, who quit the band for the best possible reason. Start an ostrich farm? Uh, even better, to be a cartoonist. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, the, the ostrich farm thing, that's been done. That's taken. You don't want to be competing with Terminator X. That's right. Um, yeah, I... Does it, does it bother you at all that... And I just, I don't know. I don't like, uh, I don't like classification just in general. But like people's insistence on referring to Low as a slowcore band. Yeah, that that made sense maybe in 1996, but I just don't see that, it. That hasn't made sense for a generation. I mean, it's you know, like they're in my view, they're a, they do play slowly yeah. by standards, but I just don't. Think think it's that style of music no no they i mean they i mean it's you know it's bob mold or neil young with a different tempo yeah i mean it's just really distorted guitars and and yeah i just i i agree i i think sparhawk has also gone on record saying he doesn't like that label and thinks it's dumb i did learn from wikipedia where i gather most of my information that there is a metal subgenre of slowcore, which is called doom metal, which okay. that name rules. <laughs> I don't know about the music, but the name is the name, awesome. Yeah. But I mean, isn't all metal doom metal? I, like, I would think. <laughs> if if done right, yes. If if you're not inducing feelings of doom, I, you know, like you're you're not doing metal the right way. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason Smash Mouth isn't a metal band, right? <laughs> yes. Like, not enough doom. Not uh, very low doom. <laughs> uh, so bouncing back to the uh, bouncing back to low as a band. Um, all three of the members are listed as songwriters, but you know, right or wrong, I always, I perceive Sparhawk as the primary songwriter. You know. Maybe that's just a fallacy because he's usually the one singing, but it feels like his, uh, you know, what I know about him as a person feels, 
kind of smeared all over this album where he's a person who has publicly struggled with depression and mental illness and um you know i that's a neighborhood i've hung out in um and you know i just i recognize the hallmarks of that all over the place on this record uh you know both just the sound and the lyrical content and um you know to me like that's a big part of this record i guess is like it sounds like this thing that comes out of uh you know an intelligent creative person like fighting with the shit in his head yeah and i think i mean one of the things i like about this record is is really dark but i feel like it uh there is like a a, a tinge of hopefulness yeah like, it, it yeah. ends well i guess we'll talk about how it ends it ends some way I um so I, I I remembered that you know so I, I interviewed Sparhawk back no, in two thousand five right. yeah back when I was a young alt weekly kid just a just a cub reporter yeah uh, and I today I I actually found I have the transcript of most of the interview um, I didn't think I did so it was pretty wild reading it um, it was a little cringe inducing just you know reading your own conversational style from 15 years earlier. But uh, I had totally forgotten this, that when I talked to him, it was after um, a low tour at, towards the end of 2005 had kind of collapsed, partly because he was just having trouble. And um, you know, they had to pull the tour. And then when I talked to him, they were kind of rescheduling a new tour, and Zach Sally had just left the band. and. You know, it's weird because you know I, I remembered that I had talked to him, but I had forgotten that there was like all this shit that was like that fresh right then. I feel like the I feel like the road would be a tough place to be if you were in a bad mental space, yeah. especially on the scale that Low performs at. You know, like it just it's it's got to be kind of shitty anyway. But you know, if you're if you're struggling, I feel like there's just a driving across the country going to really small venues is going to give the universe a lot of opportunities to uh to test your resolve yes yes i I think i think that's the case did Um, you i can't remember i know you also interviewed bob mold one of them was driving when you talked to him so mold was driving which was weird um, Sparhawk, this is another detail I'd forgotten. He had just driven to some lumber yard in Duluth and was like wandering around the lumber yard talking to me and then got cold and went and go sat in his car. So, I, you know, I guess like <laughs> the two like coolest interviews I got to do were with men sitting in cars. Yeah, I feel like Jerry Seinfeld owes you some type of <laughs> royalty payment. I, right? I was there with, yeah. That son of a bitch. Um, you know, I guess while I'm throwing out my uh, my interactions, I have had one other interaction in person with Alan Sparhawk, where um, when I got my Telecaster over there fixed up a few years ago, I went to Twin Town Guitars to pick it up and needed a cable, and there was this dude hunched over, you know, just rocking out in their used guitar room, and uh, he turns around and says, hey man, you need a cable, and hands me a cable, and Walking away, oh fuck, that was Alan Sparhawk, whoa. So like, I like to think, you know, I absorbed a little of his power. When yeah, he me. yeah. I, it's interesting that he was down here doing that and not yeah. 
I think there was there was some there was a show going on, and the weird thing is that then um, you know there used to be a clothing store next to Twin Town Guitars. Mm-hmm. Rebecca was waiting for me over there, so I went over. You know, after I had tried out the Telecaster, knew it was good. I went over to tell her I was ready to go, and Mimi Parker was next door, like buying clothes. So it interesting, was just, you know, it was yeah. The, the back-to-back low encounter. Yeah, you got two-thirds of the band. Yeah. Well, I think functionally they are the band now. I think, like, I've noticed that uh, all the all the promotion for the new album is just the two of them. I think they've just stopped even having an official third member. Maybe Craig Johnson. <laughs> yeah, it's just a matter of time. The Twin Cities universal bass player. Yeah. <laughs> Typo positive. <laughs> And oh yeah, well, so then um, you know, I, I feel like speaking of Alan Sparrock and Craig Johnson, we saw we saw the two of them together a couple of weeks ago in a Neil Young tribute show that I thought was kind of an interesting like like it was a great show, but it was also this interesting like calibration seeing you know yeah it was it was I mean first of all the show was awesome. Um, it was a little strange to see, you know, at some point see Alan Sparhawk kind of take a back seat to the to the guy who's a really good musician, but I mean I think his primary wheelhouse is be fronting that fronting, you know, like Neil Young cover bands and things like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean he's I, I think the first time I saw him perform was uh was a Johnny Cash tribute show. That Rich Matson dude, yeah, you mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, and he was in a, I mean, a pretty, I think, famous, like, local band. Yeah. But it's just it's strange. Nothing on the scale of low, though. I yeah. Mean, and, I mean, Craig Johnson was in the Jayhawks for a while. Yeah. I don't know if he still is or not. I don't think so. I guess, you know, just if you're, if you're looking for retro... Salute shows, you know, Rich Matson's your guy, and then everyone else is just kind of. He did a. Gr- I mean, he, he was yeah, he was awesome. He was it. Like, fantastic not, at it. I, not not a knock on him. I mean, no. he was. But it was just a little strange to, you know, it took him. I think it took him a few songs to kind of get their footing. Yeah, it was an interesting show too because they play. <laughs> it started really early. Yeah, like eight thirty or something. And they played a full set of Neil Young covers, took a break, and then came back and played another. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like they played for like three, three plus hours. Yeah, that, that was. Um, and I apologize to any listeners. I did not get the opportunity to pin Alan Sparhawk to the ground. He just, I, I know. It's, <laughs> I had never been to the venue. I didn't know it was going to be, it was going to be that tight in there. Uh, yeah, you know. Opportunities come, opportunities go. I enjoyed the fact out of, you know, so he, Sparhawk, you know, no one accuses Low of being like a jolly band. I mean, like, I, I think they're they're not, they're not as grim as they're made out to be, but they're, they're, you know, they're not a jolly band. But he was like the jolliest man on stage at that show. Like He was easily the jolly, like, by leaps and bounds. Yeah. And again, like, Craig Johnson is usually a pretty jolly dude, Yeah. Right? He was just standing there looking like Adam Scott. Drinking his bubbly waters. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh. That that is another thing I think we should talk about is the the interesting thing dynamic that particular show is, uh, you know, you have Sparhawk who's uh, L- Church of Latter Day Saints doesn't yeah. drink, Craig Johnson is double fist and bubbly waters, and Rich Madsen is just picking up the slack for about yeah. two of them, Jesus. just drinking for three, just tall boy after tall boy, what a rock star. Yeah, that's you know. That's that's the price he has to pay to to you know for his skills. It takes a lot of, of fuel to. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same formula where uh, you know with Iggy Pop is using not to age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know that's Rich Madsen's formula. Yep. Agree. Uh, well, should we dig into the album itself? Yeah. Or do you have yeah, any other like album level thoughts? I mean, I think just the only other album level thought I have is. Is just how how cool it is that this band is from Duluth, and how personally disappointing it is that I didn't really hear about them until this album came out. I mean, they 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 were kind of the kings of a niche that true that wasn't your thing before this album. That's true. It just is, you know, like <laughs> it's it's a little bit of an indictment. Yeah. As a, I, I fancy myself a music person. You know, I I had the chance to see them in a fucking tiny coffee shop in Morris, Minnesota. Um, you know, in in like 1996 or seven, and there had I gone, there would have been like 20 people there, and I you know I, I consciously turned it down. I was like, no, why on earth would I want to see that? And I have you know, I've been kicking myself. Maybe you would. Maybe you you wouldn't have been into it though. I don't know. I, I don't think I would have been into it, but you know, but like if I could travel back in time now, I would really be into it. Yeah, but, but I mean, I, they had to have played like, you know, the Fitgers Tap Room or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I guess you know one thing. So uh, again, not wanting to take anything for granted. Um, if you're listening and you're not from Minnesota, like the the Duluth thing is kind of important because Duluth is like this weird magical place where it's you know this little rust belt port city that's kind of smeared on some hills and it's totally fucking decaying but it's just it's beautiful Lake Superior is right there it is there's just something in the air there where the city just seems to like grow weirdos like the best kind of weirdos everyone there is just weird as fuck and it's great and like, like, of course, the best band in Minnesota <laughs> is from Duluth. But, yeah, it's. Oh, we're not counting Martin Zeller. <laughs> we are not. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, I uh, and I think the another interesting thing, Duluth just has this weird juxtaposition of, of kind of, you know, as he said, aging, decaying Rust Belt city, that also has because it's located on Lake Superior. It also has this tourist trade, so it has this like, it has this like magnetic pull for uh, for upper middle class people from the Twin Cities yeah. to go there on vacation. So you just have you have this kind of push and pull going there of of you know wealthy tourists and people who are just sort of uh, Duluthites. Yeah, it's I don't know, it's a great place. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. If I. I if I weren't convinced that the dead of winter there has to be worse than the dead of winter here, I'd, I'd think about it. But, but I know it is. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, okay, well, so let's 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 talk songs um, tonight, or I guess Monkey. It's just called. What uh, what do you think of of Monkey? Well, so uh, I, when I first heard it, I did did not care for it, but um, it's sort of growing on me. One thing I do like about it is there's like this electronic hum running in the background. Yeah. And it's just interesting when you kind of look at the lyrics, you know, the, the, I, I like the, it's like a radio turned way down low. Yeah. And that's like kind of, uh, when you think about that in terms of just this like electronic noise in the background, it's yeah. kind of an interesting, you know, kind of uh, just, I don't know. It's an interesting stylistic choice. Yeah. Uh, on an album full of them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. I, when I remember getting this album and this, I think this was the first album that I bought through iTunes. Oh, well, probably. Um, which the is, you know, timeline checks out. Yeah, kind of a wild thing to think about. Um, but I remember, you know, getting this and hearing this song, and you know, and yeah, my my first gut feeling was like, "What the fuck is this?" I, I no, and then like it it came around pretty quick. Um, it actually it kind of reminds me of Octung Baby back when we talked about that, and we talked about how like they intentionally wanted the first song to be jarring, you know, to like warn you, like, okay, you're in for something new. And I think there's something at, same kind of thing at play here. Like, this is really just a weird, menacing song. And the weird thing is, like, I actually feel like this one is, you know, I was talking about how everything after this album for them is kind of weird and less accessible. Um, this song is kind of the most like later low, I think. And I mean, probably a jolt to the system for like the hardcore low fans yeah. who are used to, who are used to their kind of previous style. Yeah, the the true slowcore era fans. Right. Yeah, that that had to have been some um, Dylan goes electric shit for some people. <laughs> it's way too fast. <laughs> uh, you know, I still like like I have loved this album for you know nearly twenty years now. I still have no idea what this song is about. I just, I, I think it just sets a weird, cool tone, and that that's kind of all I got for it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess in my in my reading, it's kind of if you think about it in terms of Sparhawk's mental health, you know, I think it. I, I mean, I know I've felt at times where, like, I don't know, I was just operating at a frequency that no one else was operating on. Yeah, you know, so kind of. And I think that's, you know, that's what I get out of it is him. And maybe this is just, you know, me putting my own bullshit on it. But, you know, he's, you know, just trying to work it out in his head. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, something like that has to be at play here. I think it's fascinating. Um, I don't know how much they planned out the interplay between songs on this album. Uh, you know, there's a line about it's a suicide, shut up and drive. Um it's fascinating to me that the song or that the album opens with a song that invokes suicide, given you know things later on the album. Um, you know, again, like I don't know if that's this planned thing or if that was you know just forces aligning. I don't. I don't know. It just it's one of many interesting little interconnections on this thing. It's a good way to just let you know that you're in for something that's that maybe you're not expecting. Yeah. Yes. I think that's 
that kind of sums it. What do they call that at fancy restaurants? The the amuse bouche. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know. There's just something funny. Like that phrase. I just that's an inherently funny phrase. It is. It is Sorry. pretty funny. It's. My it's, apologies to the French language. Jeez. <laughs> um. I don't know. Anything else on Mikey? No. Let's move on to California. I think this is a fucking perfect song. I, I I don't know of too many rock songs that are better than California. This, I, is, uh, again, that first time I listened to this, you know, if I was put off by Monkey, then this fired up, and I'm just like, oh fuck yes. I just like the I like the way the guitar starts as like a, almost like a staccato yeah noise, and then like slowly builds throughout the song. Yeah, and at the end, it, it you know it's just. It builds into kind of a noisy frenzy. Cool fucking guitar work on this. I spent a long time trying to figure out how to play this and could never, ever get it. And, you know, saw these, like, really, you know, I, I could never do it by ear. And I found some very tortured um, tab transcriptions. And then, like, like you know, none of that worked. And it was all fucking weird. And then a decade later, I found out that Sparhawk pl always just plays on an open G um, and so, you know, the, he just, he has access to fingerings that you don't have on a regular, and so fuck, that's what's going on. Um, how do you learn how to do that? Like, uh, you just, you just start that way and then stick with it. And, you know, like the same way that you kind of learn in regular tuning by noodling around with it for, you know, however long, like you just do all your noodling in open G and. It's just interesting to me that people are able to do that. Like people yeah. are able to, you know, like playing guitar is hard enough without, you know, experimenting with tunings and yeah. things like that. Well, I think at least he is so all in on it that I, I don't know how well. I mean, I'm sure he, I'm sure he can play regular tuning, but I he claims that he never does. And I think like, you know, all of his muscle memory and all of his, you know, just fucking guitar thoughts are in like this alternate way of doing it it's like the movie firefox where yeah Clint has to think in russian you must think in the russian <laughs> yeah exactly well that's so like you know every so often i'll get fired up about the way he plays guitar and think about like oh well maybe i should try to learn open g um but i'm always worried about like i don't want to fuck up all of my you know standard tuning muscle memory and uh, so i guess that probably works well if you're in a three piece but if you're in yeah. a four piece so like when we saw them play with the extra guitarist does that person have to be in open g tuning as well no um but you both need to know what you're doing and you lose you know usually if you're in regular tuning and you're lost you can look at the other guy's hands and see like oh he's doing a d um you know if matson had been lost he would have looked over at sparhawk and been like ah oh, fuck i don't know um, you know, and I, and I noticed that like they were like they were set that way that Sparhawk was playing open G and Matson was regular. Um, you can tell that by looking at the guitar. Oh, for, no, but you can tell by you can tell by looking at their hands. Ah, okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, you know who else? Keith Richards does that a lot too. Except he he is fucked up where he will move back and forth between open G and... Of course he does. Yeah. Fuck him. <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, no, so like getting back to the the content of this song, I just you know, I, I this song is about how fucking brutal winter in Minnesota is, and like you're singing to the choir here, <laughs> like, especially this time of year after yeah. you feel like you've been beat down by it. For, yeah, you know, four months. Yeah, this um, this song is conveying a message that I am here to here to absorb. I guess that it's about Sparhawk's mom. I, I don't. I saw that claimed on the internet anyway. Keith is also a huge fan of the Feeling Minnesota song, which I think is <laughs> Soundgarden. That's right. You know, I can't do my. I used to be able to do a pretty good Chris Cornell voice, but since I yeah, since you're mourning, it's probably not a good idea. Since, <laughs> since I fucked up my vocal cords, I lost my Chris Cornell voice and I lost my ACDC voice. Boy, that's that's a harsh. I, you would not believe how much that cramps my style. <laughs> Just uh, in casual conversation, <laughs> right? Like not even, not even musically. Feeling Minnesota. Uh, um. But that it's interesting because that's the exact read I had it on it too. Is that you know like all the references to back to California where it's warm? Yeah. Like, Nights were just too long. Yeah, enough of this. Yes, um, and you know this is this is a good um, it's a good encapsulation of how good this band is when they're electric because you know uh, all the shit Sparhawk is doing on guitar and singing is great. Parker's drumming is just fantastic, and then I think one of the things that they did really well as a three piece is like. Zach Sally is contributing, you know, he's contributing melody to this. He's not just like, dun, 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 dun. like a lot of the dynamics of the song are these bass parts that just kind of float around and do little counterpoints. And it's, you know, it's this delicacy, even like a, a song that's pretty rocking. There's like this room for delicacy that you don't have, you know, with a band that's bigger than a three piece, I think. I mean, yeah. Husker Du kind of did the same thing. Yeah. Or Uncle Tupelo? Yeah. I mean, Jeff Tweedy kind of did that when he was playing bass, yeah. too. He kind of was sort of a more melodic bass player. Yeah. Even, you know, the Sting and the Police. like, And I hate to say it, but Getty Lee. <laughs> like, you know, if you're the bassist in a three-piece, like, you got a lot of room to, to contribute. Yeah, I mean, I, think, I, I do think it's different, you know, because you're sort of... you're. You're a hybrid of the rhythm section and the and you know kind of out in front. Yeah. You know if you're in a if you're in a band that's got a lead guitar player, a rhythm guitar player, a keyboard player, you know sometimes the bass kind of gets relegated to you know just being an extra percussion instrument. Yeah, totally. But I'd never put that together. But you're right. Like a lot of three pieces have the bass is a much more uh, much more integral piece to the to yeah. the sound you can really lean on them i um another note i've got on this so like this is you know like basically you could say this for every song on this album or just about but a lot of the vocals lean on the the harmonies between sparhawk and parker and and that's great and like i just i love that in this band across the board between Low and the Jayhawks, what is it with like the great Minnesota bands and harmonies? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Lowe does kind of a cool thing where they'll often have the first verse will just be Sparhawk singing. Yeah. And then they'll and then they'll bring in um, Mimi in the second verse to harmonize. Yeah. And it really. I don't know. It it really works for some reason. Yeah. Like it really. I don't know what it is, but whenever she comes in, it's like, you know, it's, it's like the the band has been made whole or something. Yeah. She just what she can do, like filling out the sound, is just just astonishing. Um, you know, this song is great for dynamics. It you know it it goes big, it gets quiet, it builds back up. I mean, you were talking about that from the get go. Just I, I guess like when you spend. 10 years being a very quiet band and then go electric you you know going electric you take with you like the knowledge of how to play with dynamics and go big and go quiet and yeah it's almost it it, it feels like and this is a terrible analogy because it's flipped but it's like watching a black and white tv for 10 years and then tuning it on and having it be in color yeah um you know it's like it's just a different thing yeah, I yeah, I think you're right. But you you come into that different thing with like the knowledge of how to get a lot done on the more limited palette and like you, you've got more control than on the bigger. Yeah, so it's almost like you know, it's almost like if you, you know, if you were in a band that only played the ukulele and then you realized, hey, not all of our songs have to feature the <laughs> ukulele. We can <laughs> You know, that has to have happened somewhere. There has to be a band that's had that arc. Did you, this is an aside, but did you ever see, there was like a Saturday Night Live skit where Simon and Garfunkel like make this deal with the devil. No. And they, they show them like before they got famous and they're both playing the bassoon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, I didn't see that. And the devil hands them two guitars. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it's. Oh, um, hopping back to the album. Uh, any thoughts? Well, I guess any other thoughts on California? No, just that it's. Uh, I mean, it's one of my favorite songs on the album. I had. Uh, I just kind of noted that 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 you know I really, even listening to it again, I I really like that song. It is so good. What do you think about everybody's song? Everybody's song is not my favorite song on the album. Um, you know. It's uh, and I feel like I say this a lot, but you know, it's it's ninety nine floors of fright. They're all they're not all going to be winners. <laughs> I this is one like I don't think I dislike it as much as you do. I I like it, but it's definitely you know this is an album that's got like peaks and then um, you know lower spaces and I mean this one like it's and and they all serve a purpose with the flow of the album. I think like this you know this fits in the album, but it's definitely. It's not one that I'm putting on mixes on on my own or on its own. Uh, I, I, there's a lot of interesting stuff to it. You know, this song just sounds like big, intense conflict, and it's. I think this is like as mechanistic as low ever sounds. It sounds pretty fucking mechanistic. Do you feel like you like it more than I do because it has the line "Nobody does it better"? Well, so I I always always that line always sticks out to me, and yeah. I always wonder is that. It's gotta be, right? It's gotta be. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And you know, I mean, fucking hey, that's a great song. Yeah. Shout out to a shout out to a great song. Um I think this is the the harshest Mimi Parker's 
drumming ever sounds. Like, I don't know I've ever heard... It just sounds like she's hitting a hubcap with a distortion pedal or something. Yeah, I mean, the, well, the song is just, like, all about pain. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it fits. It just is... I've got a note that the bridge sounds like an amp being tortured. <laughs> <laughs> In that theme. I So, I remember back... I guess this probably would have been the tour that collapsed in 2005. Um, There was some article talking about a show on that tour that framed this song done on stage as like some example of conflict between Zach Sally and Alan Sparhawk. Uh, You know, there was some bit in there about like Sparhawk introducing the song by looking across the stage and being like, I don't hate you anymore, Zach. And then they go into this and, this is all like dredged out of my memory. From, wow. Yeah, I mean, this is just, you know, intense, heavy conflict all over this thing. I think one of the challenges with just being in a band with other humans is not having it devolve into hating each other. It is really fucking, you know, like, I, I yeah, it. It just yeah. seems like, especially in this sort of setting where you're touring together and you're probably... There's high stakes, you know, really like you've got artistic stakes, but this is also your livelihood and so you can't fuck it up and yeah, it's, I don't know. And it just is, I don't know. I, I don't know how any band stays together, yeah. you know, through that. When, when I was reading back through that, um, that, uh transcript of, of when I interviewed Sparhawk at the end of 2005. One of the things he did mention in that, I, I asked him at some point in that, like, are you and Zach talking now? And, and he said they were, and that they were getting along and it was great. They just, you know, they don't talk about music. So, uh, you know, happy ending there. It's, uh, it, it is similar to the Jayhawks where the, like for people who aren't familiar with the Jayhawks, the two of the founding members uh, Mark Olson and Gary Lewis like seem to get along until they're in a band together, and then they can only go so long before they want to kill each other. Yeah. I, to be fair, Mark Olson really puts off the vibes of. <laughs> Do you know that motherfucker fired? I'm I'm ninety percent sure that I have this remembered right. That Mark Olson fired one of the Jayhawks drummers by fax. While on tour for wearing a pro-choice T-shirt, is that true? That's I. That's at least the way I remember it. Um, I guess I kind of hope I have it wrong, but I swear to God, I remember reading that. And and like I've held that against Mark Olson for a long time because that's that's shitty on so many levels. I, I have a sort of selfish desire to go to one of his shows and just request Miss Williams guitar you know, about his ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> it is a great song though. Well, that's my payback for after Mark Olson left the band, uh, always stumbling, somehow finding the guy behind me who would yell <laughs> for that song after every song. I'm like, dude, they're not going to play. You're not, you cannot possibly hear that song. Oh, I don't know. 
Um, anything else on everybody's song? No, That's no. Kind of the lesser one. Should we move on to the Silver Rider? Silver Rider. What do you got? Well, and I'm going to preface this by saying um, I'm still. Uh, the words I wrote were melancholy lullaby. No. Yeah. And then I went into a brief rant about how I feel like the Smashing Pumpkins have take have co-opted the term melancholy. Yeah. Um, and even though that album came out when I was in college, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, I feel like it's become a touchstone album for a generation younger than us, or maybe... I, that feels right, which is weird to me. Strange. Yeah. But that, you know, I wrote that and immediately triggered my brain, you know, like, you know, I've got some, you know... <laughs> I got something something against the Smashing Pumpkins for taking that. Turn. I, man, the their sins are many, but that's among them. I remember I groaned at that album that album title when it came out. Just the way, melancholy. Fuck you. Fuck you. Double fuck you. Well, it was a double album, so yeah. So was, one fuck you yeah. for each disc. Yeah. <laughs> it works out. Uh, a silver writer. So I did not know this. I, I mentioned this was the first album I bought through iTunes. So I've, I've never had a physical copy of this. I didn't know until yesterday um, that there's apparently on the physical copy, there's a story written on the album that, and so I've only heard this described. I haven't actually seen this, but there's like, there's text telling the story of the Silver Rider versus oh. the Great Destroyer. And like, Interesting. I, I had no yeah. fucking idea. Um, I've never owned it physically either, yeah. which will come up later. <laughs> um, so apparently the Silver Rider and the Great Destroyer are like opposing entities, which I think is interesting because the the true nature of the Great Destroyer is actually revealed later in the album um, in an interesting way. But, you know, Silver Rider, I don't know what the fuck it is. I just The song is kind of beautiful. It has individual lines that I've always liked and like the la la's with yeah. their voices are fucking fantastic. Um in uh comic lore isn't the Silver Surfer like a destroyer of worlds? No, so he's is, he, is the Silver Surfer a good guy or a bad guy? He's kind of both. Um and it's interesting I, I have a note about him too. Um so Silver Surfer started out as the Herald of Galactus. Galactus is like this really bad cosmic entity that just goes around space eating planets and it doesn't give a fuck what's on the planet. It will just eat you. And the Silver Surfer was his herald who would show up, you know, at the planet before and be like, well, get your affairs in order. Galactus is going to eat you. Um, and then eventually the Silver Surfer got tired of that and just, or he betrayed Galactus and was trapped on Earth just like, hanging out on earth being cosmic and um solving crimes no just kind of observing the folly of man and so all of this shit is like uh, the silver surfer and galactus and this other guy the black racer who is different but also kind of feels connected to this song all this shit was created by this guy jack kirby who is um this giant in comic books it was just this crazy insane creative motherfucker who like just 99 percent of things that are cool in marvel comics came out of this guy's head and yeah even aside from this song reminding me of um 
you know, aside from the Silver Rider Silver Surfer connection, I just I feel like Jack Kirby was kind of operating on a similar frequency to Alan Sparhawk. We're just so much in this guy's head that is like boiling out in cool, weird ways that like I just you know, there's like this kindred spirit thing there that I don't know. It just it, it, you know the the fact that you go to Silver Surfer here too like makes me feel like yeah there's well I also go to the thing. fact that uh, you know all of those great Jack Kirby ideas were later monetized by Stan Lee and Marvel right yep to no financial benefit yep and and boy is the blood bad there I bet or was I guess everyone involved is dead now but uh, yeah um, yeah. <laughs> I do have another note on this that um, if you have not driven alone on Highway 61 in northern Minnesota with this song cranked as loud as possible while you're like looking at Lake Superior as you drive, you've never like experienced this in its perfect state because um, that's a cool fucking way to experience it. I don't know this. if I've ever done that. I'm going to have to rectify that. Got to try it. Got to try it. Uh, on the downside, the, the way not to experience this, um, this is this is the song where I learned that uh, the Great Destroyer is not a great running album. <laughs> not not one that's you know going to pump you up to get the miles. Yeah, it's a, it's more of a thinker. Yeah, thanks. Um, Robert Plant covered this one. Oh yeah, yeah. Did he claim it as his own, or did he? Yeah, <laughs> you know, too, too soon. <laughs> I, I feel like that's more Jimmy Page's thing than Plant's thing. True. Um, no, he, he gave it credit, and uh, you know, and and like praised Low a lot for it. How fucking cool would that be to have Robert Plant cover you and acknowledge you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> Not put it off as his own. I'll be. It would be. I mean, it'd be amazing. I, I'm kind of impressed with Robert Plant that that got to him. My impression is that, like, of the former members of Led Zeppelin, he's the one who's like still kind of moving in the world and paying attention to shit. And you know, like he he does legitimately seem like just a man who really loves music and is like, you know. Just, Alive to new things. Has he ever been name checked in a Beastie Boys song? <laughs> I don't think he has. But I wouldn't, you know, like, I wouldn't be surprised to find out. <laughs> I... It's, like, it's got to be kind of a weird headspace to be Jimmy Page and be like, hey, you got name checked in a Beastie Boys song. That's the good news. The bad news is it was name checked alongside the girls I like are underage. <laughs> Good news, bad news, Mr. Page. Jesus Christ. What song is that? I forgot. I had forgotten about that. That is a fucking dagger, you know, that Jimmy Page deserves. Wow. I hope I'm right about that. that uh, it, I do too, because that is... Otherwise, you know, like, I'm probably going to get sued by... Led Zeppelin's attorneys. <laughs> Fuck them. Um, 
Anything else on Silver Rider? I don't think so. Want to take a quick yeah, break? Yeah, Let, Let's do that. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're, we're back um, after, <laughs> after a little fact check. After review, it, it, is, it is true. So the, the, I, the one thing that's different, or I didn't realize that it was... Um, I didn't realize it was licensed to ill era Beastie Boys, so maybe it wasn't the shot at Jimmy Page that I thought it was. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of you know, it, it's sort of karma though, right? Yeah, no, like, it, it it it's a dagger that hit him where he needed to be hit. They just may have thrown it more blindly than right, I thought. Unintentionally, I think they were trying to praise them and it praised him in an era. Really. He had some self-reflection to do. Oh, um, so getting back into the Great Destroyer, um, just stand back, man. This the same way that I thought California was a perfect song. This uh, fuck. This is again like I don't know how you do better than this. The lyrics, the sound, the performance. It's just. Fucking 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. Yeah, and I, I just love the I could turn on you so fast. Yeah. It 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 reminds me of, you know, so this is this is kind of an inside baseball thing, but there as you're driving up the north shore of uh, Lake Superior in Minnesota, there's a there's a body of water that's called Cut Face Creek. Yeah. And it's always a race between Keith and I about who can who can get in the I'm gonna cut your pretty face joke. But I feel like this is the this is the more subtle version of yeah. that. Like you cross there and you're like, I could turn on you so fast. Yeah. One more slip, I'll slit your neck. Yeah. yeah it's fuck this just the the combination of like beauty and menace in this is just I fuck, I how do you make something this perfect? I don't know. Like how do you sit down and write a song about being dangerous to other people and and have it sound this good? I just I can't compute. Yeah, it it's uh it, it, different, but it's kind of like the first time I heard the Uncle Tupelo song "Gun." Yeah, it just it, it it's firing like every neuron that. Yeah, and this one I just it's a pretty simple song. It's just so well executed that it's yeah. like. I don't know. It's a great one. Yeah, there's not that many chords to it, but it, it's you know, they're the chords that need to be there. It sounds it it has always sounded to me like Parker is playing one of those like seven foot high orchestral bass drums, you know, just boom, boom, and it, it sounds fucking awesome. I it, when I interviewed Sparhawk back then, I actually like asked him about the guitar part in this because like I've the the guitar work, like in the bridge and solo, is just the coolest shit ever. And you know, I asked him like, "What the fuck are you doing there?" And he kind of talked about guitar effects a little bit, and but it just said like he was trying to find a beautiful ripping sound. And yeah, you found it. Yeah, I, I think that's. Uh, I don't know. That's what makes like really good artists to me is. People that can translate kind of this ethereal idea into something tangible. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a friend of mine um, named Max Sparber, who I, I learned just a lot about art criticism from. 
They had this theory that uh, that's what the the only useful definition of like artistic skill is: can you come up with an idea and then like do you have the tools to make this abstract idea a reality? And like, if you do, then you're a skilled artist. And like, that's okay. I do not. <laughs> that depends. I yeah, I can't think of a single avenue which I can. I can get so perfectly get everything that's going on in my head you're, into a into the like physical world. You're a, a master of podcast co-piloting. <laughs> that's, you know, the, from idea to execution, it's all there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. Like, I hate to I hate to just enthuse about a song, but I I just I don't have anything else substantive to say then this one is fucking great I think this is the song if somebody said you know give me the one song test for this album this is probably the one I would give them. yeah maybe death of a salesman but I, I think this is a better this is a better one well and it's more you know death of a salesman is great but it sounds like it could fit on a lot of other low albums this one is like perfection in the way that you know that yeah. they were really only doing here. Low Mark Seven. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I, I guess one thing I do wonder, like we we talk a lot about everything we've talked about. You know, we talk about Sparhawks and Parker's and Sally's intentionality. I I don't know how much Dave Friedman had to do with the way this album turned out. It had to have been substantial, just given. You know, he, given how much he is like this guy that like shows up on great records and shows up here and makes a great record, like so. I, you know, I, I don't know how many of the great choices are his and how many are theirs. Um, he had to have been involved. I mean, clearly he had to be involved. Yeah, I think just the the fact that it it sounds different than the. You know, I think that's that's some of his input is yeah. is just sort of some choices. I mean, I, I always like to think that the band is more responsible for that, but yeah. I, I think that's probably not true. Well, I think it depends. You know, it's situational, and with a band like this that's been around that long, and, you know, I, I'm sure they're making a lot of the choices here. Maybe, maybe well, we can, we can have the sound of a beer opening. <laughs> I, you know... Maybe he's just advising. Maybe he's just giving ideas. It's tough to say. But. Yeah, I just think some of the other records that he's produced have just been records that I've loved. Yeah, um, uh, like uh, he probably has the highest percentage of you know showing up on like my Pantheon records. Like you know, you mentioned when you were doing your Metacritic um, two thousand five. <laughs> He he did the woods too, and that is like that is a really fucking good Sleater Kinney record, and you know, and I remember hearing Kerry Brownstein being interviewed talking about that, about how you know they wanted his touch on that because they wanted everything to sound weird and almost broken, um, you know, and and they really achieved that on that album. Yeah, and I, I just I, I think some people. I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I think good producers are accretive to the process. Yeah. So, like, they take 
the ideas from the artist and and you know work on the margins to make them better yeah you know i think the bad producers are the ones who who take the artist's work and really try to shoehorn it into a yes. certain the worst thing the worst example of that i can think of um oh fuck and this is going to be a digression but so there's uh the guy who played drums for semi-sonic wrote a book about playing drums for semi-sonic i read that book and, yeah and like you know i i know people whose taste i respect really like that book and i really hate that book <laughs> um and there's part of this there's part of that book where they're talking about how they're you know they're mixing a song I, it might have been closing time i don't remember but yeah you know, they're mixing a song to uh you know they want it to be the the single that really pops and so to you know to make sure that that it is the best single they can be they want bob clear mountain to produce it because he only produces hits and uh you know we're gonna pay him like tens of thousands of dollars to produce this single and you know maybe if we're lucky he'll put in the clear mountain pause which is like this thing that he always does where it pauses and comes back and it's like what fuck you why the fuck are you paying some fucking other guy tens of thousands of dollars to come in and put his signature pause into your fucking song what are you what are you out to do here what well, if it was closing time, they were out to make a shit ton of money. I guess. I mean, yeah, the joke's on me. But I would much rather have people pay Dave Friedman to help them be weird, the weirdest versions of themselves than to have, you know, just paying someone to put their signature production. That, 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 that's just, I hate everything about that. Even if it's someone who's talented... You know, like, yeah. it'd be like hiring Ernest Hemingway to edit your book so that the sentences were shorter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. I don't know. Um, okay, letting it go. Serenity now. Yeah. Do you, do you, need, do you need, like, a 20-second timeout? No, you know what? Here, watch this segue. Okay, here we go. I need to take my foot off the gas here. Oh, yeah. Kind of like On the Edge Of, which is a classic take your foot off the gas track. This is yeah, it's dynamic. Very good. <laughs> this is the one that sounds like a Neil Young and Crazy Horse song. I, I can hear that. Yeah, like it's got that like in the beginning, just sort of that like wandering guitar that's sort of like looking for something. Yeah, yeah. And they both have kind of higher voices, so maybe that's why I think yeah. they use a lot of distortion on this record. Yeah, so maybe. Yeah, I, I. I would not have come up with that on my own, but when you say it, I absolutely hear it. But ha having heard Alan Sparhawk perform three hours worth of Neil Young <laughs> yeah. songs, he's clearly a fan. Yeah, like, uh, the, the Neil Young suite of concepts is not new to him. Um, you know, this is a song like, this is not one that I ever, I, I never, I'm never like, I'm going to listen to On the Edge of right now. But if you're doing this in sequence, like, it, it needs to be here. You know, it's it takes. Takes a foot, you know, takes a step back from the intensity. Um, it, Their voices sound so fucking tortured, but it's kind of low-key torture. It just keeps sounding like it's falling apart and then pulling itself back together. Yeah, and there's that, there's a weird, I was going to see if I could find it. There's a weird line in there that stood out to me. Um, 
you know, it's it's even got those uh, youngish themes of like the ocean and you know, I could have built I could have built you a house on the ocean, the ocean repeating and receding into the sun. Yeah. You know, it's just it's sort of a it's sort of just a weird like when you blend it with the music, kind of this weird I don't know. Uh, it, it's you know, it's kind of like uh, after the gold rush or something like yeah. that. Yeah, like, I can like, totally get that. Like riding Mother Nature's silver, you know, silver star to a new home in the sun or something like that. You know, it's you know, just that like just weird lyrics where you're like, what are we? There's some kind of weird story going on. You like, can maybe get 80% yeah. What are we, what are we talking about here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is also not a good song to run to. Want to want to put that out there? It's yeah. So I mean, I, it's a great one. This isn't one that I have a ton else to say about. But cue the strings. Cue the strings, which also like it feels interstitial towards something. It kind of builds. You know, yeah. It, it's weird because like I don't want to piss on it by saying it's a lesser song but it's you know like this is i feel like this is another song that just kind of fills in a small piece of a bigger hole but isn't that much on its own it's got like a it sounds like almost like a drum machine in yeah. the background like yeah. a making like a heartbeat almost yeah sound yeah and like you know this is another one i think points off in a direction where they're gonna go because their next record is fucking all weird drum machine shit which is a bold artistic choice when your wife is the drummer. Yeah. You have to assume she programmed the drum machines. Yes, you know? I would. I, and this is this is just stupid, but I am not honestly not sure I've ever seen the phrase pray tell written out before as it yeah. is in this. Interesting, yeah. Like it's something you hear people say sometimes, but it's rarely like written. Yeah. Yeah. Not too many bands get away with just throwing pray tell into their lyrics. True. Yeah, it's you, you know, if you're if you're in it for low though, you're you're down with some weirdness. Yeah. Uh, you've bought the ticket, you're taking the ride. Exactly. I just yeah, I know I I like the way that, like this one starts out low and builds up and gets that heartbeat shit going and it's you know, it's got the classic low dynamics thing. It actually, it sounds like it could be the end of the album at the end, and I'm, I'm glad that it's not because there's great shit coming, but you know, this sounds like a th it sounds like an ending to something. Um, <laughs> do you have anything else? I, I don't, ending? but I, I, you know, it's, I, you know, I think on any other record, I would probably go to bat for it as being a, a pretty good song. But yeah, I, there, I'm not saying it's bad at there's all. There's just so many other songs that I like better. That yeah, and in kind of this age of experiencing your music primarily digitally, you get you you know you, you only get one or two songs from an album. At least the way I listen to music, uh, you know, I I mix it up. So it's no. you know this wouldn't be one that I would. I would throw into the rotation. Yeah, I feel like this one really shines in the context of the whole album, and this is this is probably the record I listen to the most in sequence. So I, you know, I experience it that way a lot. But, but yeah, 
Um, you know, moving on to step, like there's this weird thing where the sequence of on the edge of cue the strings and step all feel like this kind of calm mini set in the middle of the album before shit ramps back up. I mean, this is one that I feel like if it was recorded faster, it could maybe be a pop song or a an alt rock song. Yeah. Um, it's slow, but it's kind of an underrated song. I feel like it's uh, it's got kind of I, I just like there's just like a haunting guitar between yeah. the verses. That the really... guitar is fucking great. It it almost sounds diseased, but like in a good way. I you know so I've got a note here. I mentioned that thing earlier about Carrie Brownstein saying that Sleater Kinney hired Dave Friedman to try to make things sound broken and like that's the way the instruments on this song sound to me like in a good way it just sounds like what the fuck is wrong with with these instruments it's it's great yeah no it's it, it just is a, it's it's kind of a hard album to talk about because it's you're not used to talking about albums that have so many songs that you want to talk about does that yeah. make sense like yeah you know, which is why we're an hour and five minutes in, and we're, we still have a number of songs. To yeah, this, this might this may end up being a two-parter like Octo Baby, um, and if it is, it is. But you know, this, this song like it's got it's got really good harmonies again. It's 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 got kind of the same mechanistic feel as everybody's song, but it's not as like harsh. It's yeah, it's good. I, I do think it's it's one that I've underrated in the past, and I, I just you know it's just not one of the ones where you'd say this is. You know, these are the, these are the songs that I think are the, the songs of record for the album. Yeah, no, to me it feels like these the the past three songs are this kind of like, you know, <laughs> recuperation period I guess before the heavy hitters come back, um, and so then to go on like when I go deaf like motherfucker that is a heavy hitter of a song like i just fuck to me this is maybe the uh, i think this is the emotional core of the album somehow like i just this feels like sparhawk making this personal emotionally naked statement that is kind of half words and just half sonics um you know i i'm probably projecting a lot of shit onto this but like the part when the electric guitar kicks in like that's if i'm having a mentally difficult day the guitar the electric guitar in this song is what the inside of my head sounds like yeah no it's and I, I think this is a great example of how they start with Sparhawk's voice in the first, in the first uh, verse, and then they bring in uh, the second voice, and it just, you know, it just sort of builds from a, you know, just yeah. Alan Sparhawk playing acoustic to we're gonna bring in Mimi's vocals, to this just like guitar craziness, and it's 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 two fucking chords. It's it's C and G and. You know, just this handful of notes other it, and he's like conjuring the entire fucking world out of that. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, it's uh, it, it, yeah, you know, just the emotional dynamics of this song are so weird too. Where like he's singing alone, you know, this kind of just again kind of naked shit, 
And then Parker comes in, and her voice is just beautiful over his. And, you know, it's this fucking married couple singing together about, I won't have to lie, we won't have to fight. And like, I, just the intimacy that this song is inviting you into is... I, it, I, it's, it's more than more than most bands give you in their entire career and it's just all in one like short song yeah it's like uh it's almost like that uh jim carroll song uh the people who died yeah where it's just like okay i'm gonna open i'm gonna cut open a vein and we're gonna yeah why don't you put on my skin for a while and feel intimately what it's like to be me i um yeah i don't know this is this is i i this is an amazing song. It takes a lot of guts, I feel like, to to really like put yourself out there like that. To really, yeah, absolutely, you know, just lay everything bare. Yeah. Yes. I did see someone on Twitter. So the official low Twitter account is pretty much just Sparhawk, um, and he's really like very nice and funny on there. Someone on Twitter the other day asked him about this song, if he had gone deaf yet, and he said, no, his, his hearing's actually pretty good. So, you know, there's, there's a happy ending here. I, uh, I don't know, I, I feel like, and this is maybe just me projecting, but I feel like whoever wrote that tweet probably spent an inordinate amount of time trying to like wordsmith it yeah. to like <laughs> be as clever as possible yeah and, like you know sparhawk <laughs> read it and 10 seconds later he's just <laughs> like nope here he's fine <laughs> no he was it's actually it's you know i i'm very i'm inclined to judge everything he does as as you know in the most favorable light as possible but like on twitter he really does act like a person who is happy to have fans who you know want to talk to him and like values that and um, you know he just he comes off as a pretty cool guy. Yeah, yeah, it's good. He seems like well, I mean, I've never met him or talked to him. Wasn't able to pin him <laughs> yet. Yet, I think you could have though. He was not. He's pretty wiry. I don't know. Yeah, like, but he's, he's a little guy. I feel like he'd be elusive too. You know, he's. <laughs> Yeah, kind of, kind of head fake you with all that hair. <laughs> That's true. Be tough. Um, moving on, Broadway. Another, another, just great, great song. I, I, I can't believe. I was shocked to realize the song's almost eight minutes long, because it doesn't seem like it. It's, it does it's not. So, so, I don't know. It's got a beautiful role to it yeah it's great it's uh you know i i kind of conjure up you know broadway in nashville when i listen to it okay uh just because it's you know so many people like there are a lot of people and bachelorettes on the street you know my favorite i see my favorite record store there's the ernest tub record store on broadway yeah you know, I just I don't that's, know. That's like, fascinating how how well that clicks. It is. Like, if it wasn't for the reference to Houston, yeah, well, that, I, that's uh, to me like I I had never been to New York until I don't know sh- not long after I'd heard this record. So like to me like 
you know, this song about being in New York and marveling at it just kind of was there for me when I started going to New York and marveling at it. And like, I just, I love that, like, there's this perfect song for like, oh, wow, fucking New York. So many people. Yeah. Good store. I mean, it's, yeah, it works in New York too. I mean, New York is, uh, the Broadway in New York is a little bit different than the Broadway <laughs> in Nashville, but it's, uh, I don't know. It, it just is a, it, it's another in a line of great songs. Yeah. But sonically, it, it fucking, I, I love the guitar solo in this. It, it somehow manages to sound like Thin Lizzy playing over like Pet Sounds era Beach Boys. And like, that is a show I want to see. Fucking hey, yeah. It, ah, oh, it's, it's so good. It's so, so there was this thing. The route this got to me is kind of circuitous. This woman I used to work with, like around when this album came out, had a low T-shirt that just had, I don't even remember what the graphic was, but the um, the text on it said something like, I don't want cool, I want beautiful. And that, you know, the, I asked her about it, and she said that there was some backstory to that where, like, um, Sparhawk and Par Parker's kid had drawn a picture and he had come up and said oh that's cool and you know the kid said i don't want cool i want beautiful and they like turned that into a, a low t-shirt and like to me like there are songs like this that are just kind of fucking beautiful and like like that's not a an aesthetic judgment that we throw down too often and you know like in 2022 we don't often look at something and just say that is beautiful but like this song is beautiful yeah, yeah for like, sure it's it's sort of a I feel like it's maybe a, a concept that we've lost yeah I don't know I think it's the it, it's sort of the transactional nature of like Twitter and yeah. Instagram that, yeah yep beautiful doesn't really boost your numbers <sighs> uh, you know it, that <laughs> that's a sentiment we'll get to in a couple of songs but first there's pissing um, another really menacing start to a yeah. song. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I did enjoy the Michael blow your horn reference. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that I have any strong feelings about the song pissing. I don't either. You know, it, it's another one that like works in sequence. Um, you know, I'm never, ever going to put this on a mix out on a mix on a playlist, but listening to it in sequence, like you kind of need it as the interstitial. Yeah. I mean, if you were gonna sacrifice one song up to the, up to the, you know, the gods, uh, I don't know that it would be this one, but this one would be in, in the discussion. But at the same time, like if you're listening to it in sequence, it's kind of, it makes Death of a Salesman work, having this like quiet menace in front of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a tone setter. It's yeah. another amuse-bouche. Exactly. Bouche, too. Then you get to the main bouche. I think um, it's amuses-bouche. Amuses, comma, bouche. <laughs> That's, you know, if you're indexing, sure. Yeah. Um, so Death of a Salesman, again, like, what the... Uh, fuck. So I, before, we get, before we get into it, I have a clarification question. Because okay. I think I may have been mishearing this 
uh, song. Okay. And there are two competing versions. Okay. According to Pitchfork, the line is, the future is prisms and math. According to most of the lyric sites, it's the future is prisons and math. I have seen someone ask Sparhawk about this on Twitter, and he's clarified. So straight from the horse's mouth, it's prisons and math. Prisons? Yes. So Pitchfork is wrong? Yes. Awesome. And uh, Because they list it twice in their <laughs> review. I, so I... To me, that is proof that whoever wrote that is a fucking idiot because the future is prisons and math is an amazing fucking... Exactly. Just late, like, late stage capitalism. The just, future is prisons and math. Like, I, I, can't ima- I can't accept how much meaning you, you pack into those, t- you know, that one sentence. Prisons and math doesn't mean shit. Like, what the exactly. fuck is... Exactly. Exactly. This is what... This is what drove me insane because, like, prisons and math is like, you know, we can all be distilled down to some kind of profit loss equation. You know, it's like this, it's this beautiful sentiment. Like, the future is prisms (laughs) and math is like, okay. Yeah. What the fuck? Like, that's. P.S. The prism isn't a new thing. Like, (laughs) see Pink Floyd. That, that maybe that's the maybe they were reading it as the future is prog rock. It's the first line in their review, and then they say it again. Uh, it's just a, I, I'm I can't tell you how relieved I am about that <laughs> because I I have always been hearing prisons and yeah. math and been like that is a that is an amazing distillation yeah, of I, what's happening I'm in, just into. Three words. I, you know, I've always, I've always thought that like the nature of poetry is to condense truth into as few words as possible, and like that's, I, I don't know if I know of any other sentence that's as good as that sentence. Like, I just you can't fucking top that. The next couple of lines are very good too. The so I did what they said. Now my children are fed. Because they pay me to do what I'm asked. Like, that is fucking grim in context, too. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's, you know, like, look, I followed your rules to play your game, even though it made me miserable. Yeah. And I burned my guitar in rage. the, 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 this is the most despairing song <laughs> that I know of. It's and and I guess that's what's magical about this band is that like with most in most other situations I'd be like, well, God, I don't, I don't like this. But here, like I, you know, at this point you've been primed. You're just you're in the mood to be like, okay, give me the dark truth as straight as you can give it to me. Yeah, I mean, they're building it up. It's not like a reveal. Yeah, yeah. No, you walk quite a ways to get here, and then you're like, okay. And then then you you turn into walk into the sea. Walk right into the sea. Which, I mean, motherfucker. I just, the, the intro, you know, sonically, the intro of the song is just amazing. The, 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 the Parker's drums are just fucking perfect, and that... Guitar rolls in and there's like this, uh, you know. Again, just it's beautiful. It's it's 
There's no other way to describe the collection of sounds here. This is just a beautiful collection of song of sounds that are about suicide. And like I feel like and this is a compliment in my view, but I feel like if Bob Mould heard this song, he'd be like, That is exactly what I'm trying to do. I think you're right. Yeah. I think that's I, I, I agree. I think that they are hitting, you know. They're hitting what he has been after his entire career, and I just, I, I just, I can't. Uh, again, the magnificence of this song just shorts my brain out. I, I don't know. I don't always know what to do. Like, I love this song. I, I don't, I don't always know what to do with, with it emotionally. Um, maybe that's okay. I mean, I guess that's okay because I've been loving it for so long. I just I love the way it builds together. This is where they finally reveal what the Great Destroyer is, and it's time, and no argument there. You know, that yeah. that fucking checks out. Time is undefeated, as they say. <laughs> Leaves every child a bastard. Um, fuck, it's yeah, and then it closes with them like hitting those long harmonies. It's just, it's perfect. It sounds like some kind of acceptance, I think. I, I guess that's why it's bearable that this song is about fucking walking into the water, because... Yeah, I mean, it's... So, if they hadn't primed you for it with an entire album, like, it would just be... You know, I think it would be... It would be really hard to interact with. Yeah. Uh, but I think the way that... I don't know. I guess I am left with this album being like, looking at it now, you know, later, tw almost twenty years later, that I'm glad that Alan Sparhawk made it out of this. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, and he seems to have come to a very, you know, he seems like a guy who's doing pretty well now. And like, I'm glad he made it, and I'm glad that he gave us this on his way through. Uh, this, I, you know, I guess. It's weird because so the song like the words evoke suicide, the mood kind of doesn't, and I don't know if that's because if it's like talking about some kind of peace that you achieve when you've just decided like you can't fix everything. Um, I I don't know. I I don't you know, and it's not like I don't want to. I don't want to go too far into the weeds, but like it's not a subject that I take very lightly. But um, I, I feel like some kind of magic trick is happening with this song. That it's taking the darkest possible subject and somehow making it... I, I don't even know if it's making it okay. It's like taking the things around it and making it okay. I don't fucking know what's going on here, but whatever it is, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's... It's almost like that that big star song Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Where you're just, you're staring into the fucking pit and yeah. like somehow seeing something amazing. It's and then somehow Sunbolt covered that song and made it <laughs> like let's let's make this a little sadder. It's like it's like I only have so much emotional bandwidth, <laughs> guys. Like yeah, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I don't know. This is a it's a hell of an ending song. It's a hell of an album. Yeah, it's a great album. Um, so I've got a note here. I, I guess anything else on Walking to the Sea? I, no, nothing else. That's, I mean, what else can you do? Um, I've got a note for favorite song. If you had to pick a favorite song from this. That's a good one. I think I would probably pick Broadway. That's it's a fucking gem. But I could be convinced to pick Death of a Salesman. I could be, I mean, I could be convinced to pick When I Go Deaf. There's a lot of songs I could. Yeah, there's like half the album. Yeah. I, I'm in the same boat. I, I I guess like right now at this moment, When I Go Deaf is the the winner but it could be half the record album verdict this this is my favorite record listening to so it. you'd say better than a 5.5 <laughs> yes five, what do you think 5.75 well, you know uh, yeah, maybe 5.8 5. 5. 8, yeah uh, jesus christ <laughs> better than sufjan stevens <laughs> just a touch better than sufjan stevens yes um yeah uh, do you have a verdict on the album at all? Any? Yeah, I would say underrated at 46th best album of 2005. <laughs> I, I yeah. think I'm confident in saying that. I think time time has been pretty kind to its reputation. Yes. It's, it's interesting because uh, I, I was just surprised, I guess, by how many of these songs, how many of these records I knew. Yeah. And, like, I mean, there's some interesting, like, like that... Uh, in the Rains EP for Iron Wine and Calexico, yeah, which I've always liked. That's pretty good. Yeah, one forty hundred and forty seventh best album of two thousand five. <sighs> I feel like it's better than that. Yeah, I don't so, know. Uh, Gimme Fiction was in there. You said correct twenty eight. I mean that's like the landmark Spoon album. Yeah, I mean there's oh you'll I forgot to highlight this for you. Checking in at number 10, Separation Sunday by The Hold Steady. Which, even I think amongst hardcore Hold Steady fans, I don't think anyone's going to bat for that album. I mean, maybe they are, but it, you know, like, it just seems like... You're just, you're, you're, you're killing the concept of Metacritic here. Yeah, but it's Metacritic. Fair uh, you're disproving the idea of the wisdom of crowds. It's the ultimate argument settle. <laughs> there you go. So speaking of other albums. Yes. Do you have another album in mind for the next episode? I do. I do. I think we're going to put the American College experience on trial. Oh, no. And we are going to do... We're not going to do uh, Legend, but we're going to do uh, Exodus. Bob oh, Marley fuck. and the Whalers. Okay. I am... That's going to be fun. Yeah. Fucking A, right on. I, I, I have a Jamaican neighbor who has been missing for two years. <laughs> Do you have an email address? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> maybe he'll show up before we yeah, do. That I would be awesome. Get, get another microphone. That would, uh, his presence would definitely spice up the show. Probably going to need to get more than four beers. <laughs> He's... He's a man of appetites and opinions. Um, that's gonna be that. That'll be fun. Awesome. Um, and I guess that is it for the Great Destroyer, unless you got no, no, else. that's all I have. 
Well, thanks again for sitting through and listening to us. Um, if you uh, if you have anything to say to either of us, I can be reached uh, on Twitter at Keith Pilly, and uh, I could be reached on Twitter occasionally at uh, at Cook six two five two. And um, you know, we would love to hear from you. Unless you are here to defend Bob Clear Mountain and the Clear Mountain Pause, in which case, fuck you. Oh, no, pl- please reach out to Keith directly. If anyone knows Bob Clear Mountain, is Bob Clear Mountain still alive? <laughs> I think he is. If yeah. anyone is, con- is uh, you know, let's get his take. Yeah, if we can arrange beef between me and Bob Clear Mountain, let's do that. Um, if you dug the show, please tell people about it. Go to iTunes or wherever and leave a review. Uh, thanks. Talk to you again uh, pretty soon when we go on an exodus. 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 <laughs>